Welcome, everybody. This is the U.S. Grace Force Podcast. I'm Doug Barry, along with my always very good friend, Father Richard Heilman, wearing his U.S. Grace Force Podcast jersey. And our guest tonight, John Henry Weston, is with us. And he's coming to us from Germany. So exciting story. Things going on right now. We're going to get into some really good stuff about the new revelations of Pope Benedict's secretary. Yes, they are new revelations. But before we get all that started, we want to start with prayer. And Father, we always give that to your department. Okay, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls, amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Father, for that. And again, as always, we want to thank everybody out there who supports the U.S. Grace Force podcast. Your encouragement, your prayers, most important, of course, and your financial support is also fantastic through the Patreon program. For those of you who would like to support us, and we thank you so much. You are in our prayers. All of you are. But for those of you who want to support us financially, please click the link in the description below, the Patreon link. It'll take you out there. You can pray about it. And if you can throw a few dollars our way every month, that helps us continue to get this message out. This is a type of message, of course, that's very important. New revelations of Pope Benedict's secretary. Uh, John Henry Weston is one of those men who understands this world very well. His history of journalism, and especially within the church, is very well documented. John Henry, great to have you back on the program with us again. Good to be here. Thank you both for having me. It's a bit late for me here, so if my eyes look dark or... Um, I'm blinking too much. It's because we're just after midnight for nearly 1230s. Okay. That's right. And, I'm in Germany because my flight from Rome back home uh, got delayed. And so I'm stuck for a night. So, yeah, and, and you were in Rome um, just to hang out, have some coffee, some gelato, <laughs> yeah, that right? or was there more exactly. to it than that? No, we were covering the funeral of Pope Benedict, got there in time to uh, visit his body lying in state, pray, you know, prayers for his soul, had beautiful uh, funeral requiem masses, Cardinal Burke uh, with um, uh, mon various monsignors uh, and stuff like that. It was just beautiful at, at various churches all throughout. And then, of course, the main uh, funeral mass uh, celebrated with uh, Pope Francis in the P St. Peter's Square, of course, uh, with really thousands and thousands of people. Hundred and even two days before the funeral, already 137,000 uh, people streaming by to visit the remains of Pope Benedict as, as his body was there lying in state. They weren't expecting that many. So they would have got to well over 200,000 by the next in the next two days. So just unbelievable. If you could, before we get into the title, which is is uh, is good, and there's good reason why you can address the new revelations of Pope Benedict's secretary, uh, give us an idea of, a, of just the feel of what it was like, the, the people that were there to pay respects, to mourn. What was the atmosphere in general like over there? The, the atmosphere was, you know, one of, there's a bunch of things going on at the same time. So it's, it's, um, it's kind of a weird time. So there was some, it's, it's Rome. So they already had a funeral of a Pope because most people are old enough to remember JP2's funeral, which was celebrated, of course, by Cardinal Ratzinger. And it was a very different picture because, of course, you know, John Paul II was a, a Pope who was still a reigning pontiff until he died. This was different because it was a Pope Emeritus, and what does that mean? So it's sort of like a first time for that. And uh, it's almost like they didn't know what to do. So there wasn't, there was like there was no invite for world leaders and stuff like that. People came, you saw the, the Prime Minister of Poland come, and as the body was, uh, you know, moved, the coffin was uh, carried away, the President, President Duda knelt in front of the coffin. You had the Queen of Spain there. You had uh, King Philippe from Belgium there. But they were some of the only ones there in official capacity. So even the the um, Vatican ambassadors weren't invited formally till a couple of days before. So it was there was some oddities going on, a bit of confusion. But in general, you still had hundreds of thousands of people who were able to pay their respects to Pope Benedict. You had so many people who loved this man and in particular 
you had young priests. I think that was one of the things that was very, very clear. You have this um, love from young priests for Pope Benedict. A lot of, obviously, a lot of traditional priests as well, because Samorum Pontificum has been talked about um, by, I think, a lot of the, the folks who were there as the high point uh, of the pontificate of Pope Benedict. In fact, I spoke with uh, the leading historian of, of probably of the Catholic Church, but, but at least of Italy, um, who's famous in Italy as a historian, uh, Roberto, Professor Roberto Dumate, who, who said, I mean, this is obvious that, you know, the principal um, legacy of Pope Benedict will be Samorum Pontificum. Uh, the same was said in comments to me from uh, Bishop Schneider. Bishop Schneider wanted to be there, but he was uh, touring in Lisbon and in Poland and couldn't make it. Uh, you know, a lot of people couldn't make it. That was another thing. During the death of uh, Pope John Paul II, they opened extra flights from Poland. I talked to some Polish reporters who were there, and they just made it there because they could. They, they said all the flights were booked and, you know, it was impossible. So there would have been way more people, but it was so sudden because it was announced and you had to go. And even for us, it was very challenging to get there. Um, a funny story, we, uh, our, our reporter, uh, Jim Hale, who's our cameraman, he's our best uh, guy on the road, and he, he almost didn't make it. Um, he made it, I think, because uh, Cardinal Gregory made it, uh, and he was on the same flights. And uh, I think even there was a gate open that shouldn't have been opened, and uh, it was opened through the work of, uh, of Cardinal Gregory in, uh, in, from Washington to Atlanta through, through Rome. So interesting stuff, but... John Henry, do you mind breaking down real quick uh, what that document is that he's going to be still remembered for and known for? Samorum Pontificum is, so there was controversy um, in the Catholic Church following the Second Vatican Council and the reform of the Mass. So what happened was basically in the 60s, it almost, in the late 60s, it almost seemed like the old Mass, the traditional Mass, which had been in the Church for over a thousand years, um, it would. It was. Remember, it was formalized by Pope Pius V. So in 1570, um, it, the mass is formalized and given. You know, basically, everyone has the right to say this <laughs> from this time forward and forever. That those are. I think that's just about an approximation of the exact wording from the bull quo primum from Pius V. But anyway, so it's the traditional mass forever. And it's your, it's basically the typical Latin mass that we have now, uh, the traditional Latin mass. Um, there is, the, we call it the 1962 version because of course, John XXIII did some uh, revisions to it. However, it's basically the same thing. So that mass is the ancient mass, but it seemed like throughout the seventies and eighties, it was cut off. It seemed like it was illegal to, to, to do. And that shocked a lot of people. So my, my dad was a visa officer for Canada and he would go all over the world but to represent Canada. So he would go everywhere, but have his mass because everyone understood the mass. So it was a wonderful thing. And then that was hard stopped. Um, so that was a, a shocker for a lot of people, but come John Paul, uh, come uh, John Paul actually gave permission through the something called the Tridentine mass, which people were able to access it as well. But Samorum Pontificum was very interesting because it's a document from Pope Benedict that said, actually, no, this mass has never been abrogated. In other words, it's never been forbidden, which was news right, to mm. just about the whole wide world. And also that every priest could celebrate this mass even without permission from his bishop because mm. it's universal permission that they've actually always had. So that was quite something. And what came from that was a new love for the Latin Mass. That was something that I guess wasn't that expected. Because I think a lot of people when when they, when they it was being made um, thought, well, we want to give to those people who are attached to it, you know, they're older people and they won't want to leave it, a, a kind of a, a be nice to them. And what happened was a lot of young people, priests and families discovered this. And that's why if you go to these Latin Mass parishes, there's sometimes of young people i it's amazing you go and of course i don't i don't have one near me there's one half an hour away and they have one mass on sundays so i'm at a Novzordo parish but you go and you see these latin mass parishes and they're busting at the seams so that's been what's happened over the last you know 
um, decades since uh, Samorum Pontificum, but you know there have been a lot of consternation about it now. But that will be, I think, forever remembered as a highlight in Benedict's papacy because it established that the mass was never abrogated. You couldn't. And his famous line, which he actually gave while he was still cardinal and then made formal as Pope in Smorn Pontificum, is that we can't hate our own patrimony. The mass of the saints that they all went through is still our mass. And so that was his understanding. That's what he brought forward. And it was so well received by so many of the faithful. And that's why you have so many traditional communities uh, right now that uh, just love the traditional mass. Um, and there's not this big vexation and fight about the, you know, about the Novus Ordo and saying that you're going to go to hell if you go to the Novus Ordo. That's all, that's all make-believe. Um, it's just a love of tradition. Um, and people did get, you know, and it, Benedict was also trying to uh, bring together the two uh, forms of the Roman Rite. Uh, he called one the ordinary form, one the extraordinary form, the, the, the ordinary being the Novus Ordo, the extraordinary being the, the traditional Latin Mass. And he wanted to bring them closer together because basically we have abuses in, in the uh, Novus Ordo. You have, you know, uh, all sorts of abuses uh, with the liturgy being weird, priests sort of making up whatever they want, um, the lack of the use of any Latin. Um, because in the Second Vatican Council, it was about leaving Latin in the Mass. So there, it's, a, it's a rich document. There's a ton there. Um, but it is probably going to go down mostly for that recognition that this was never abrogated and everyone's got a right to say it and um, so that's yeah. what i i always i have fun connecting the dots you know um actually i was reading uh, scripture scholars will say mary reflected on these things uh, actually a better translation was mary was putting the pieces together so she was connecting the dots but um, I, fi I find the date of uh, Pius V, you know, uh, proclaiming that this is the, the Mass, is the year before uh, the uh, Holy League. And, and uh, uh, it's 1570, and that's 1571. Um, and you can see, too, uh, it kind of connects with what uh, Don Bosco's dream was all about. You know, you have the Eucharist on one pillar, and you have Mary on the other pillar. And... Uh, that was kind of launched, and, and it was during a, a tumultuous time, right? The rise of, you know, Martin Luther and, and uh, Protestantism, it was in that century, and uh, the church was broken and, and weak, and it was easy pickings for uh, the Ottoman Turks to come in and just deal the last blow. And what rose up at, at that exact time was this liturgy, this mass, the Holy Eucharist, and devotion to the Blessed Mother. You know, that's where we... It's October or yeah, October seventh, fifteen seventy one, where we get uh, Our Lady of Victory later in our Lady Rosary. So, and and then I'll connect another dot while we're at it. I love that uh, Samorum Pontificum uh, came out on July seventh, two thousand seven. So it came out on seven seven seven, which is really cool. Wow. And I happen, cool. <clears throat> I happen to la launch a men's ministry where what do we do? We gather every. Uh, once a month, uh, we actually try to do the first Friday, so it's the Sacred Heart of Jesus. But uh, but what do we do? We expose the Blessed Sacrament for an hour. We pray the Rosary together. We go to confession. But you can see right there the Eucharist and the and the Rosary, right there. And the name of this uh, this uh, uh, apostolate, if you will, is uh, the Holy League, because we, 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 this is what's going to save the Church is the Eucharist and, and the Blessed Mother. And I always look back on John Paul II, especially the later John Paul II. I felt like, you know, he was coming in to the den of wolves when, in 1978. And he had to kind of rally the troops for a while, is the way I look at it. But he had to build trust in, in him, and he got it. I mean, the, the, the crowds that would show, out, show, off, uh, show up wherever he was. But he started a little more out there about you know the blessed mother and the holy eucharist and all that toward the end of yeah. his pontificate i know he he and uh pope benedict uh ratzinger at the time were best friends uh they uh i was in rome and they said yeah they went out every friday night for dinner together so yeah. they were really good friends yeah. and uh so but benedict takes the baton and then launches what he did 
and I'm 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 very grateful for Samorum Pontificum. And the other thing that it did is he was always trumpeting, wasn't he, in about enriching the Novus Ordo or mutual mm -hmm. enrichment. He often yeah. talked about, and I, I followed that teaching, and it's been wildly successful in my parish. Um, yeah. well, yes, we offer the the Trishalite Mass here, but we also offer an enrich, or I like to call a Vatican II Novus Ordo. Mm -hmm. Sacrosanctum Concilium from Vatican II, if you do what that wanted you to do, rather than what the liberal bishops who hijacked uh, Vatican II with their spirit of Vatican II stuff, mm -hmm. um, and I say stuff because we're on the air, um, but, uh, but you know, that, 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 uh, that what? That weakened um, our sense of the sacred, our sense mm -hmm. of the supernatural. And uh, Pope Benedict would write and speak and teach about all this. You know, he would say, you save the liturgy, you save the world. Uh, and I, I just, I loved him so much. And, uh, and, and then we had giants like Cardinal Burke and my own Bishop Morlino and, and many others that just got behind him and mm -hmm. saw the results. He, um, we went from four guys studying in all eight years of seminary training to 33 almost overnight wow. and that was right at that era of 2007 wow. uh that that happened with with and bishop marlino came into our diocese just about the time uh pope benedict became our our pope and wow. and it's just like whoa this is here we go and 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 like you say it's young people my uh when i got here the average age of my parish was probably about 65 maybe 70 years old mm -hmm. and uh you know few coming all their children weren't coming and now it's full up with uh, average age of 30 to 35. Yeah. And they're all having 18 babies, you know? <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it's why, because once you get that spirit of awe and wonder in you, okay, you just hunger for the more. And, and yeah. so, and you want everything that God wants to give you, but you also want to please Abba so much when you get ignited with that awe and wonder spirit or, Technically, it's called fear the Lord, right? You, mm -hmm. I'm afraid of ever offending you, Daddy, ba Abba, Papa. Um, I love you so much. That's what the that's what that mass does. That's yeah. what mass does. And I happen to be a proponent that um, um, I think people who have that conversion experience and come back to the church, they'll find the traditional at mass a lot of times, and they'll go, "Whoa, this is awesome." But sometimes it could be a little bit too much. I do like. The enriched Novus Ordo as maybe that first step because the phenomena I've seen in my years here is that all the young people streamed into that enriched Novus Ordo and they're like whoa and some of them talked about it a little verse I don't know understand the traditional Latin mass but after I don't know maybe a few months they're going why am I not at the traditional Latin mass right <laughs> yeah. so it kind of it kind of prepared them for it so yeah. and and I think Pope Benedict knew that I think he did. Because he was he was big mutual enrichment and and, uh, and basically bringing the Novus Ordo back to what the fathers of Vatican II actually had in mind. Uh, it was Sacra Sanctum Concilium. Would you agree with that, John Henry? Well, I I would because you know what's really funny. There was a debate when when Summorum uh, Pontificum came out because Benedict remember he called the ordinary form the ordinary form and the the latin mass the extraordinary form right, <laughs> so right, that's right. a double yeah. entendre that you could take another way um and so it it might very well be he also instituted that people could only leave holy communion from the pope kneeling and on the tongue yeah that was also a, in into his pontificate he established that as a as a firm rule so that no one it was and basically to give example you know and it's beautiful he's just just done this so so he's very much trying that as you called it an enriched novus ordo right. uh yeah i think that's great yeah john henry where now the title we've got new revelations of benedict's secretary um you're basing a lot of this on a book is that correct that has just been well yeah the the book that was just released uh, by Archbishop Genswein. Now, Genswein, I think most people know, Archbishop Georg Genswein was the secretary to um, to uh, Pope Benedict, uh, actually to to Cardinal Ratzinger in his last couple of years, and then is as Pope. Um, and uh, so that was uh, that was quite something for for him because uh, he thought, uh, as as he reveals in the book, uh, as did Cardinal Ratzinger, that 
A, this is all provisional. I'm like, basically, I'm going to be here for a couple of years and then going to go. So you're in this spot for a couple of years with the, the cardinal prefect of the Congregation of the Doctrine of Faith, and then you're going to go on to do something else. And lo and behold, um, you know, Georg Gunsfein, Father Gunsfein at the time, gets, you know, put into this position, and then his guy becomes the Pope and retains him as his personal secretary. That must have been mind-blowing because no one, especially not Cardinal Ratzinger, believed he would do anything but retire. He was he tried to retire twice previous to um, his becoming Pope. In fact, he tried, he was going to do it three times, uh, but John Paul II forbade him twice. And then uh, when, when Ratzinger was going to retire again, John Paul was already beyond. He was already too sickly himself. And so Ratzinger felt he had to stay in for John Paul II. Mm. And okay. then you have his election to the pontificate, which was just unreal. And, and, and he stays in. And, but if you think about where we are in church history, he was Pope for eight years. He was a Pope, retired Pope for 10 years. Mm. So that's unreal. And, but everybody thought, when he retired, oh, he's only going to have like days left. Is it going to be, you know, because he was so tired, so sickly. They thought, oh, he's going to die any minute. And lo and behold, nope, here we are. Uh, Ten years later, uh, we have uh, him passing away. So, but there's fascinating stuff in this book. Now, some of it's very controversial um, because this is, a, you know, a man who, uh, has been with Joseph Ratzinger from Cardinal to, to Pope to Pope Emeritus. And boy, oh boy, does he make some revelations that are, um, well, eh, they're very, very interesting. And they're going to cause something of a ruckus, I'm sure. I'm, I, was, I was pleasantly surprised that he revealed so much. So, um, so one of the things that he does is he calls his book uh, nothing but the truth. And he points out when he says that he makes a juxtaposition of sometimes some things that go on in the Vatican that aren't all that truthful. Um, and so he gives one example of Lettergate. You might remember Lettergate, but it was in 2018 so this was after the retirement of Pope Benedict, and um, out comes a book. The book was about the theology of Pope Francis, and there was all sorts of contributors to it, and they asked Pope Benedict if he would contribute to it. And he looked at it, and this is from the revelations of, of uh, Georg Gensfeld's book, that, you know, he looked at it and thought, yep, yeah, he's going he's gonna to handle it. And then he noticed one of the contributors was a Pope bashing kind of heretic priest. And he said, oh, God. So he wrote a letter, a private letter to, um, th to the press secretary to ask him. So that would be Monsignor, not to be confused with Archbishop Vigano, Monsignor Dario Vigano. And it was a private letter to Pope Francis or to the secretary uh, Vigano to basically say, no, I can't, I'm, you know, I'm too ill, but it's a nice project that you're doing, isn't that great? Um, but he also included this note about this, what he thought, inappropriate person to be writing a reflection on the theology of Francis when he himself is a heretic. So he writes that. Now, the Vatican got into real controversy here, which led to the having to accept the resignation of this, this very press guy, because what they did was they put out a show of Benedict's letter on Benedict's letterhead saying, how wonderful, you know, you're doing this project for Pope Francis, which was in his letter, but they actually blurred out the bottom where it talked about the controversy and they didn't show the second page at all. And somehow some Vatican journalist by the name of Sandra Magister happened to get the full copy. Nobody knows how, but then AP got it and it was, oh my gosh, the Vatican is doing fake news. So there's huge controversy in that. Um, and then there's extra controversy in, you know, things like the publication of um, Traditionis Custodis, which seemed to undo some more pontificum. And so there's a big controversy there. And in the Vatican's write-up on that, they said how 
oh, Traditionis Custodis is now finally getting to what Pope Benedict wanted. And that's a problem because obviously that was the opposite of what Benedict did with Simon Pontificum. And Cardinal, uh, excuse me, Archbishop Genswein says Benedict furrowed his brow when, when, when he uh, saw that because he was in a way dishonest. And so this is, you know, he calls his book nothing but the truth. Um, and then out, uh, is, is, are these revelations. So there's some big controversies in it, but he also answers some controversies. <clears throat> so you know how in the beginning of the pontificate, uh, the resignation, there was all this thing about pressure. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. Pressure from the St. Gallen mafia, right, pressure right. from the financial community that, that, that the banking system wasn't working, uh, pressure from the Vatican Bank is so much scandal, pressure from the abuse scandals and the homosexuality and the document that the, um, that the, um, the cardinals wrote up, remember the three cardinals, Herantz and the other two, they wrote up for Benedict uh, exposing homosexuality, all sorts of things. So there was all sorts of rumors flying around about the pressures on Benedict to resign. And therefore, you know, is that resignation valid? Because if there's pressure, it couldn't be. So, but according to Genswein, it's no way. Benedict was very clear that uh, there was no uh, pressures that mattered. He wouldn't have succumbed to those pressures. And so he dismisses, he goes through them, but dismisses all of those and therefore says, no, there's no way. Uh, even addressing one of those big questions that everybody had about this bifurcation of the pontificate, um, where he talks about uh, munis and ministerium, his answer to that, which is you know big debate for many people, at least according to Genswein, is that ministerium was what for Benedict meant the big thing, and that's what he was doing. Mm. So it 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 gives Genswein's version of a lot of things that's very open and very revealing, much more so than you'd think a, a papal secretary might do. So there, there's a lot uh, of spicy stuff for journalists in there. It made me think of, uh, I just had Father Ripiger in my parish this past weekend. I actually came on the Vigil of Epiphany. It was a glorious night we had together. And uh, he did the, uh, the ancient ritual of uh, exercising and blessing holy water. Uh, so I've got gallons of that. <laughs> it's pretty cool. And I got to spend four days with the guy we were talking and he's, he's an amazing guy, but he's got a great sense of humor. He's just a regular Joe, but, uh, but what, you know, while we were talking and, and his talk, what, before I say anything else, uh, the talk that he did Thursday night is on YouTube and it's called, um, the state of evil in the world. So look it up. Yeah. I think at last showing it had 145,000 uh, views already just since this past Thursday. Uh, we're we're uh, taping this on Monday, so it just it really resonates with a lot of people, and it, it's I think it's an historic talk. But he talks about how um, we, we've gone through phases in in uh, and particularly since the '60s, we've gone through what what he called a superficial stage, and you know it just catechism uh, was poor and all this stuff, but. Uh, but you know, you go, Oh, whatever, you know, you don't have to really, blah, 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 blah. It, was, it was also, but, but what happened was that ushered in then an opportunity for the pagans, uh, you know, the world to, uh, you know, get all their, their goody list going. And, uh, he said, what's going, we're, we're heading from that now is this, and I wish I could bring the na name up, but it's like a domineering stage. I know I don't have the right there, there but it's synonymous with that. Uh, that we're heading into right now, or we're, we're actually entered into it right now. And he said, it's going to be very heavy handed because all the goody lists that the pagans have gotten in, um, you know, the, the, they'll tear your heart out and show it to you if, if you don't follow what they're wanting you to do. And the, 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 the sad part about it, though, is our spiritual leaders are complying with that. And, or they're just plain not saying anything uh, right now. So the, the, there's this uh, tyranny that's going on right now uh, in the church. And, you know, I, so I thought of that because, first of all, I wanted to alert people to go go see that video uh, of his talk from last Thursday. It's amazing. But uh, but also uh, to, to say that, uh, you know, here we are uh, at a time where I believe that evil has reached a point of such 
pride arrogance that it's just it's just in your face and you'll just sit down and shut up okay but what that's doing to to us is that and he, then he goes on to say that that's when and he pointed particularly to the young priests that are so devout that they're going to be the hope of the future they're going to clear us out but my generation you know uh, i'm a young baby boomer if you will but uh we have to die off you know i remember you know the 40 years in the in the desert was about a generation needing to die off with moses mm -hmm. in, in the desert uh and that's kind of what's going on right now so we're going to go through some rough times, he said, while hmm. this domineering stage where, you know, cancel and, and you know, um, just destroy your reputation or whatever, you know, the, the basically, uh, um, you know, you're, we're being persecuted. And so uh, so we got to go through that. And, and that, to me, again, is the devil knowing that his time is short and mm -hmm. it's like he's doing a temper tantrum right now. So yeah. I, I see this book by uh, Ganswan uh, as part of that whole thing, you know, that, that, that evil isn't just allowed to do what it wants and we're not to know about it. And, um, but, but there's more and more people rising up and saying, nope, look what the wolves are. There's a wolf, there's a wolf, there's a wolf. Look what they're doing, look what they're doing. And I am particularly grateful for LifeSite News. Because you guys are kind of leading the way and shining a light on what's going on in the world. I know, you know, you guys get beat up for doing it, persecuted for doing it too. But, um, but you know, I'm so very grateful that you're helping us uh, during this time. And I think it's going to be tough, you know, the persecution. But, um, but uh, again, John Henry, thank you so much for your courage to do that. Uh, and I ask everybody who's listening to, as Father um, Ripperger did Thursday night, please pray particularly for the priests who are being courageous and calling out the wolves and getting canceled because of it. Uh, but uh, please pray for them during this time. But uh, John Henry, you know, do you think this Ganswine book is going to be um, earth-shaking and and really uh, go a long way to to help us, um, you know, kind of gain back? Um, I don't want to call it control, but but re, uh, reclaim surrendered ground, you know, that uh, to take away the, the, the control, this, uh, this almost like communist control that's going on, uh, it, this tyranny, you think it's going to help with that? In, in a way, I do. Um, I, I think that Father Ripperger in his talk is right. In fact, it's, it's very similar to what uh, Professor Roberto de Matei just told me. He had a, a saying that goes basically, and it's a, it's a famous saying, you know, things get quicker near the end yes and the devil does see his his time running out so he starts to lash out and go crazy and we are in in a stage that's sort of like that because remember the triumph of the immaculate heart will come yep. there will be a triumph of the immaculate heart so we're not into the end of the world yet but we are into like end of an era before which there's going to be something really good and that something really good you can even see playing out in a kind of a realistic way. All of these young priests who are all so faithful, they're not going to go anywhere. The others who are older and, and, and yeah. not less faithful, they're going places. Right. Yeah, maybe not to a place they want to go, but they're going places. Yeah. So um, it, this is coming. And Benedict in his life um, really exemplified in some ways where people need to go to. Think about all of some of these people in the political world who are doing a lot of canceling. Think of Joe Biden. Think of Nancy Pelosi. So these are Catholics in, in by their own definition, but they are canceling Catholics and Catholic things left, right, and center. Most of all, they're Catholic, they're canceling babies in their mother's wombs. But think about Benedict's legacy. And I perhaps a lot of people don't know this anymore, but Benedict made a major intervention while he was still cardinal under John Paul II. And it was so beautiful. It was 2004. The U.S. bishops were discussing uh, denying Holy Communion to pro-abortion politicians. The head of the committee of, on the bishops to discuss that question was none other than Cardinal Theodore McCarrick, who at that time was in his heyday and he was the kingmaker everywhere in the United States. And this was the question on the table. Cardinal Burke, I think even, not the Cardinal at the time, but he was on that committee and they were looking at the question. And 
the Vatican intervened in the name of uh, Pope Francis, but it was Pope uh, John Paul II, but it was written by Cardinal Ratzinger as head of the CDF, I'm sure with the permission of, of Pope John Paul. But nonetheless, <laughs> the quote was, the minister of Holy Communion must deny communion to pro-abortion politicians. So stunning. But guess what? McCarrick hid the letter. McCarrick never revealed the letter. So that all the bishops on the committee <clears throat> heard from McCarrick dishonestly, <coughs> excuse me, that the Vatican just said, oh, it's up to every bishop to decide. When in fact, what the Vatican said was, the Minister of Holy Communion must deny communion. You can go look it up. It's on LifeSite News. It's called Worthiness to Receive Holy Communion. It's by Pope uh, Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger as head of the CDF. When it was hidden, after it was hidden, the bishops came out with a statement that didn't deny Holy Communion pro-abortion politics. It was still a pretty good statement because Burke was on the committee and so on. <clears throat> but only after they decided, did the letter come public? Well, it didn't come public. It got leaked somehow to... Um, some, uh, excuse me, got leaked somehow to some Vatican journalists and people were saying, right, oh, it's a fake. It's a fake. And guess what? Cardinal Ratzinger's office, his own office said, no, it's not a fake. It's a, it's a, it's a real document. Mm -hmm. And right after that, you had all sorts of bishops speaking up who were on the committee saying, hey, I would have wanted to know. <laughs> That's what the Vatican said. But McCarrick had hit it. And at LifeSite, we did a sort of side by side of what McCarrick said and that McCarrick hit it and this is what he said and this is what the document said it was the opposite of the truth and um, yeah he didn't like us for that I have to say but you know it's only later like decades later that we find out the real truth of McCarrick what he was doing while he was leading the church away from what Benedict wanted from what um, Pope John Paul II and Cardinal Ratzinger wanted and down a garden path but think of the damage like can you imagine if Pope Benedict or Pope John Paul II and through Cardinal Ratzinger, if that advice had been accepted, if the U.S. led the way for the world to deny pro-abortion politicians holy community in 2004, yeah. that would have been a revelation, uh, uh, sorry, a revolution in the movement to defend life. And it would have, that would have been like the atomic bomb for the good guys. It, it would have been clarity. Have it would have just, been a bomb of clarity. It That's would have changed the whole culture. Yeah. Yeah. And think of what it would have done for the Catholic Church. Yeah. It would have made clarity because you wouldn't have what we have right now. World leaders in Canada and the United States and probably other countries in the world claiming Catholicism and pro-abortion and, and, and pushing abortion on the third world. I mean, this is mm -hmm. completely insane. But that would have been such a massive part of Benedict's own legacy, but it was stopped by McCarrick. So the evil plays that, that plays out in the church, if you think who McCarrick was, I, it's it's unreal. The devil protects his sacrament, if you will, yeah. with the use of his minions. And I'm, I'm sorry to say it that way, minions, but this is what, when you give yourself, especially as a priest of Jesus Christ, you give yourself to that kind of horror as did Cardinal McCarrick, former Cardinal McCarrick, um, you're used in the devil's bidding, and it's definitely the devil's bidding to to keep abortion going. So, it's, it's amazing stories to look back on, and I I hope a lot of people go read that document, worthiness to receive Holy Communion, Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, amazingly clear, beautiful document. John Henry, uh, two things come to my mind. One, if you could, can you give us a, just a quick overview again of the meeting that Pope Benedict had with Nancy Pelosi? Just to just clear for the audience how that went, because there was some controversy over what she said, what he said actually happened. Yeah, so I think the year was 2009, if I'm not mistaken, but um, it was a great thing. So Nancy Pelosi went over with her husband, Paul, and they met with the Pope, and they put out a press release, as, as I guess politicians do. Um, they put out a press release and she said how it was wonderful and they met and they thanked him for his work with the environment and blah, blah, blah. And then what happened is something that hardly ever happens. And the Vatican put out a correction. <laughs> That's not diplomatic. 
So basically, the Vatican said, no, the, the Pope talked to her about the need for politicians to defend the right to life, and um, that that was just about it. And they also refused photo ops. So um, normally, the, the pontiff meets with political leaders or whatever, but they said, nope, nope, it's in the private capacity, so there's no photos. So those are strong messages but they're diplom in, a, in a diplomatic way. But they're stunning um, because if, if people can read into that, that was some serious discipline, mm -hmm. uh, you know, of the of the pontiff to uh, to this politician who claims to be Catholic. So, but of course, so, she so she was looking at it largely as a, just a, just a great photo op of Pope Benedict. Then, yes, and, and she tried, but they yeah. they refused, and and they issued a corrective. That was that was something, especially in diplomatic circles, that was hair raising. But See, I, I know I, it, it might sound kind of mundane for us, but. See, I'm I'm like that. I have to admit, I, I I look for photo ops with Father Heilman every week on this podcast. I just I want to be seen with Father Heilman, and, and now with you, John Henry, because it just it just does wonders for my street cred. Can, can I tell you a quick story? <laughs> we I had Father Ripperger here, and we had a social afterwards at dinner, and huge line for Father Ripperger, and I'm standing over, you know, <laughs> over there, no line. So I I stood up <laughs> I stood up about four feet away from him, and I went okay. Father Heilman's photo op line starts right here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No one, no. Yeah. I got pity. I got pity. Uh, uh, people, uh, people who are pitying me got got in line, but it was fun. But well, I I, I, I see that in comments. I'll put a post out on Facebook, and I just did this last week with the thumbnail of Father Ripperger, you and me from the podcast. And someone's comment was, "Oh, I love these two priests. They're amazing men," and so forth. <laughs> No mention of the lay guy over here, just the layman who sits over here in the corner, which which is perfectly fine. I don't mind. I just get a kick out of it. That's pretty funny. Hey, you know what I was thinking of too, uh, John Henry, while you were talking about this? Well, you're talking about Pelosi and you're talking about, uh, you know, uh, denying communion for pro-abortion politicians. And, you know, I'm sitting there going, I absolutely know. And it might be people, uh, my superiors and things like that, but you know, oh, you're being political. And no. <laughs> the most influential, powerful people who are enacting laws to tear a baby limb from limb, okay? And, and we're talking about spiritual leaders who are saying, no, you can't do that and claim to be a Catholic. This yeah. is in politics, okay? Mm -hmm. And then when she does that and then goes to get a photo op with P Pope Benedict, and he denies her, and we're talking about that. That's not politics, mm -hmm. okay? We're talking about the tyrants in, in charge in the world that are tearing babies apart limb from limb, and what are we going to do about it, okay? Uh, so I, I don't know. I had to interject. You can kind of say, I guess, maybe call it a little PTSD of what's going on with me <laughs> these days, but, you know, come on. I mean, they're getting away with literally murder, yeah. And we're being canceled or disciplined or whatever uh, for saying no, tyrants, you can't do that. And and uh, and I'll end with this. I was saying to someone, a family member actually, and they were worried about me. And I said, "Listen, I said they own ABC, NBC, the media, Hollywood. They own every source of influence. So that's how they're getting their message and they're indoctrinating everybody." Okay, now that's their right. That, that that's their pagan religion okay that's their side now we have our side who are the influencers influencers on our side mm -hmm. who are they who are they yeah. if it's not the spiritual leaders you know that's leading lead leading the people and 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 making truth clear and saying no you can't t t tear a baby limb from limb limb no you can't send an eight-year-old into the hospital to you know, get, get his genitals removed I, without the parents. Now, I mean, it's just horror. Yeah. Uh, we owe an apology to Sodom and Gomorrah right now for the, the times we're living in. And if the spiritual leaders speak up, it's politics. I'm yeah. so tired of it. I can't even describe it. You know, what's funny what about I just that said, that's very uh, short memory syndrome, because if we go back 25 years, even shorter than that, it was always church teaching, not only church teaching, it was church practice. So if you remember under John Paul II, 
John Paul II not only denied pro-abortion politicians communion, he was for their excommunication. He said that in a plain once, in a plain interview, they interviewed him because they said the bishops of somewhere, I can't remember if it was Poland or whatnot, were going to excommunicate this Catholic politician. Um, and uh, Pope John Paul was like, yeah. <laughs> and under John Paul, at the time, this was from, I think, the 80s, but um, his guy in charge, cardinal in charge of the Congregation for Divine Worship and Discipline and Sacraments, the liturgy guy, was Cardinal Arinse from Nigeria, who I just spoke with actually in Rome. Uh, beautiful interview with him coming up on LifeSite News about uh, about his interactions with John Paul II, or uh, excuse me, with Pope Benedict. But he was the liturgy guy. And he was asked all the time the question, because it was all, always in the media, about the pro-abortion politicians receiving Holy Communion. And he's the one who made up the joke. The joke went like this. You don't need to ask a cardinal from the Vatican about communion for these people. Why don't you ask the seven-year-olds who are receiving Holy Communion? You tell yep. them that this politician wants to kill babies, and then he wants to come and receive Jesus in Holy Communion. Yes, and the little children will tell you don't need a Vatican cardinal to tell you. And, you know, after his time in, in the seat at liturgy, and after Pope Benedict got in, he retired. But the new one, Cardinal Canizares at the time, had exactly the same line. So not so long ago, we were all about how this isn't politics at all. This is just normal church teaching and the normal thing that you're supposed to do when you're a priest or a prelate. Because it's for the good of the people. It's one of the things I love about Cardinal Burke his description of why to deny Holy Communion for pro-abortion politicians is because we care about them. Right. You don't want to add to their sins with sacrilege. They're already in a bad enough state by promoting abortion. Why add sacrilege to that? You're harming them even more. You right. don't care about them at all. Oh, yeah. All you care about is the photo op that you get to have with them and not their souls. They're your sheep too, even though they're famous. Yeah. So, I mean, that's... it's. Uh, yeah, that's certainly some interesting stuff. John Henry, I mean, now that, you know, Father Heilman and I have always been trying to be very, very careful on the program, um, not to bash anybody. Um, we want to be as fair and as just focus on the facts and truth as we can. This is shaking things up. It will shake things up, I'm sure, in the Vatican now that Pope Benedict XVI has passed. Um, how do you think his departure from this world in general, if you can say, based on the new revelations of, of Benedict's secretary, how do you think this affects what's going on? Because there's a lot coming out of Rome that is really confusing, and that's putting it very, very mildly. Yeah, It's devastating people. It's scaring people. There's a lot that we're just, I mean, whether it's our governments or our church, you know, Father and I talk about this regularly. We're just kind of sitting around wondering. It's like we're in a sandstorm. We don't know which direction to go. Right. Yeah. How do you think this affects, now that Pope Benedict has passed, what is going to happen in Rome? What comes out for the world? Yeah, so there's a number of theories that are well-received that a lot of people thought of right at Benedict's death. Uh, I was one of them for sure. Um, and it was the theory that Benedict acted like a catacomb, like a, a restraining hand on what's going on in the Vatican. So that even though it was pretty bad, there was a lot of cancels and, and uh, things going on. It might just get worse because Benedict was there as a restraining hand. Now that might seem unreal because I, I mean, yeah, look, we, we're pro-life activists and, and um, we've been reporting this stuff for 25 years. We actually used to work with the Vatican, um, even though it seems now that that would be impossible, but we did. Um, and um you haven't been You're controversial at all, have you? LifeSite News hasn't been controversial at all, has it? I don't know why anybody would have any struggle. No. Um, but, but what happened was we went from, John Paul II called on the pro-life movements to engage at the United Nations, particularly over the issue of population control. Mm -hmm. So this was uh, already in the 80s, but, but you know, closer to the 90s, he was calling on pro-life and it was given at least to the Canadians through a Cardinal Gagnon, famous uh, Vatican Cardinal. Anyway, so the pro-life movement engaged in this fight. And now we have still, you know, CFAN, the, the, uh, who does that, and Right to Life has been doing that for many years. But that was where the Vatican stood. Think about the Vatican now. So since the retirement 
of Benedict. So even in retirement, not his death yet, but even in retirement, that whole bag changed. There's some controversial archbishops and cardinals in charge of dicasteries that deal with issues around population control, both the Academy for Life and the Pontifical Council for Social Communications, uh, excuse me, the Pontifical Council uh, that deals with um, sustainability, uh, what is the word it's called? Um, anyway, they actually have population controllers in and coming to speak at these conferences, these Vatican conferences. Jeffrey Sachs, Ban Ki-moon, even uh, Paul Ehrlich, who was the original guy who wrote the book, The Population Bomb, that launched the whole thing. They're coming to the Vatican as speakers. In fact, when Paul Ehrlich came, LifeSite got to him and asked him, hey, um, you know, you're going to the Vatican uh, to speak and, you know, you were following this and what do you think of that? And he was very pleased with the new direction that was being taken. And you honestly have bishops in the Vatican themselves talking about the need for population control. I'm serious. Go look at LifeSite News, look up uh, our Bishop Saranda. You'll be, and we have him on video. It's not like we don't, we're just, you know, quoting in fake news. No, 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 no. You can watch him yourself. It's so unreal. You'd be stunned. And so there's been a war going on for about a decade. The biggest war for pro-life you've ever seen. But most of us don't know where it's at. Because think about what the Catholic Church is. The Catholic Church is an institution that's been the strongest voice on life forever. When all the world was abandoning life at the UN, the church fought it and fought for it. And where is the church? The church is spread in every single community. And it's led by the Vatican. And so there, the teaching from the Vatican or the, the, the orders from the Vatican, if you will, they go down into every single community and affect it. The most effective thing you can do to stop pro-life is to have to try and get to the Vatican and tell them to stop it. Because then the strongest voice defending children in the womb, the strongest voice defending the family, the one who will still uphold God's laws will be sort of snuffed out everywhere because it's come, it's top down. Like it should be top down. It's, it, you know, we, we come for crisis ahead of the church and then uh, the vicar and, and the vicar's helpers are the Vatican. That's who they are. And so this is, a, it's a real kind of a, a war that's been going on that most people know nothing about, but they're seeing the effects of it everywhere. Do you think it's going to get worse? It, it, I, I do, mm. but just before it gets better. Okay. Because, you know, God does say at some time, it's enough. Right. The enough usually is kind of more painful than we're at right now. Right. Yeah. When, um, he, when he cleans things up, usually there's, there's, a, little, there's a little something to it. <laughs> But yeah it some debris yeah. and things yeah. so father father yeah. always says you know god's a loving father if he's a loving father he's got to step in and and he's got to sometimes you know lower the boom you know yeah. and it was but, mother Teresa who said in the presence of the clintons do you remember that oh the fruit she was at the, at of the abortion yeah. is nuclear war oh uh, yes yes and you know i don't think we've ever been closer to that with what's been going on um yeah. and you know, we're sitting on it and sort of egging God on to punish the world. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we're doing all the sins that cry to heaven for vengeance. That's, I, we traffic in that every day. Again, John Henry, thank you for your um, courageous desire to get the truth out amidst, we're swimming in lies, we're swimming, swimming in a sea of, sea of lies. Um, you know, we're talking about you know, I don't know if comets are coming, if he's going to set the uh, hit the reset button like he did in Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, it it Wait, could happen. Did you, That's, did you just mention comets? I did. Yeah. I, I didn't mention it. You uh, mentioned well, Doug, it. Doug, the show's almost over and we didn't get comets in. You know, so uh, what, what am I going to do? I got to mention comets. Thank you, Father. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> but uh, but what, have you ever, I, I bet you have. You sat down and said, okay. Um, if this is going, if we're going to en enter into an age of peace, or this is going to get rectified, or we're going to reclaim surrender ground, whatever, 
what do you see that looking like? I, I know uh, 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 you just said, you know, you agree about the uh, young priests are going to be the hope, but uh, do you have a, do you have a sense in truth, like LifeSide News, I think is going to be a part of it, but do you have a sense of what, what's, what's going to happen in, 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 when we finally turn, make a turn? Yeah, I mean, my my bet would be that it would be something rather catastrophic, like a comet. There you go, fine. Um, but you. you know, it will be something catastrophic. And and coming from that, there will be that outreach because there is a natural turning to God when things really yeah. go to pot, and you have nowhere Number else to go. Riches are gone. Everything else you, you lose, and you have, you turn to God because you have to. Um, there'll be those who don't, but I don't think they'll survive very long. Right. But uh, the thing is that kind of, there you go a real reset is coming hmm. and um yeah, yeah it'll be great because you will turn to the only thing you have left this is the one scary thing about the prophecies of our lady and fatima and at lords and at akita is like they say your only weapon left will be the rosary hmm. she doesn't mention the mass hmm. um and that that alarms me and in yeah. terms of, I know God will grant the grace. You didn't think it was possible till 2020. Yeah, exactly. Right. That, yeah. It, it, it's true. And that is, that broke my heart that I'm a daily mass kind of a guy. And mm -hmm. that really killed me. Um, yeah. You, so, you, but our lady grant the grace. So, you know, John Henry, you mentioned about people being brought to their knees. And I think it's interesting. This has been kind of floating around the internet. At least I've noticed it today. I haven't followed it real in great detail, but the Darren Hamlin football player for the Buffalo Bills and how so many people dropped to their knees on the football field that night. And when someone like MSNBC or some of these others were reporting that they would say, and then everybody knelt while they were taking care of it. Well, what do you think they were doing while they were kneeling? Okay, they were praying. And then an ESPN. No, no, cast, they, they were dissing the anthem. That's yeah, it. That's exactly it. Yeah. 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 So, so now people are pointing out, even the ESPN sportscaster who led him and two others on the broadcast in prayer. And so people are floating around today. Hey, a lot of people owe Tim Tebow an apology, yeah. you know, and it, and it oh. just kind of, yeah, and it makes <laughs> yeah. the point that in, in, in a smaller scale compared to a global problem is right. we're talking about some sort of major chastisement. But in a case like this, where Darren Hamlin goes, goes to the ground like this and his heart stops immediately. It was it's intrinsic in so many people. It's like, who cares about the cancel culture? We're going to our knees. We're turning yeah. to God. Yep. And I think it's, you know, it, 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 it really does speak to a, hopefully a bigger response that we would have if God does allow a much larger, you know, wake up call, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But, um, mm -hmm. but I just, I, and I want to agree with father, you know, you, you, um, you do tremendous work and I really appreciate, you know, not, not to flatter you. I know you're not looking for that in your life, but but, you know, guys like you who are out there on the front lines with the news, just really trying to get this information out to people is so important. So I just want to, you know, I want to yes. thank you for that personally, because it's, it's, it's great. I was thinking about this earlier in the program, Father Howland and I, we had Father Ripper on last week. We've had Jason Jones. We've had, you know, I know we've had you and we've had so many good people on. And I'm just thinking of the friends that I get to interact with now that are all on the same page about what's same going page. on in the world and the need for us to join forces from different parts of the world, different parts of the country. You know, the fact that we can use technology, you're in Germany right now, you live in Canada, we don't know why, but you live in Canada. Um, but just kidding, just kidding to all my Canadian friends. But I just find it incredible that we have been given this opportunity, God's given us right now in this time, to work together to get these messages out. And I just want to encourage people to please, please go to your website, website news, uh, support you where they can. Um, we'll have it in the information below and father Heilman, we're going to post, I'll, I'll put the link to father Ripperger's talk from your parish in the description Thank below. You. People can go find yeah, it there. It, it's so powerful. I, yeah. I, I told father Ripper, I think it's a historic talk. It's historic. Yeah. So, it yeah. is incredible. And yeah, father, the groundwork for 2023. So watch it. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I would have put a link to, uh, donate to my parish on the, on the <laughs> video. I told him that too. He laughed. <laughs> All right. Should we end with a prayer? Yes. And remember, Father, in it, the repose of the soul of Benedict XVI, who himself prayed that he wouldn't flee from fear of the wolves. And I don't think he was talking about wolves on the outside. <laughs> yep. I think you're right. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. And we offer a special prayer for the repose of the soul of Pope Benedict XVI 
May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 John Henry, thank you, my friend. Great to have thank you on so much. So much. Thank you, Father. Thanks. Take care now. God bless you.